Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the American Years podcast. I'm Kate Simpson, coordinator of the American Years Project. Our project is creating space for and recording the many stories and memories of all the people whose lives are intrinsically linked to the American Navy's presence in the Holy Lock by Danoon on the west coast of Scotland. In this episode, we talk to board member Phil. Phil was born and raised in Los Angeles and joined the U.S. submarine fleet after college in the early 80s. In 1984, Phil transferred to the Henry Clay SSBN 625 Gold Crew nuclear missile submarine, which operated out of the Holy Lock. Phil talks about his life as a submariner. He goes into the psychology of being alone with a crew deep below the waves. He talks about life ashore and the strains that the job places on those that you love. He shines a very clear light on life aboard a submarine in the dark depths of the ocean. I got my guitar in 84, and uh, I talked to the chief of the boat uh, for permission to bring my guitar onto the submarine, which was unheard of and awful cheeky of a, for a brand new sailor <laughs> who wasn't qualified submarines to ask that very thing. Of course, one of the things that the chief of the boat is, you know, responsible for is the morale. And so, you know, he looked at me and his name was Campbell, our chief of the boat. And he said, you know, that, that might not be a bad idea. Let, let me run it by the captain. So I actually had to get permission from the captain to bring my guitar, this guitar in its case onto the submarine. And so uh, I got I got it. I got permission. I had to store it where it was well, way out of the way. But uh, I remember walking in to the library on, on the ship and Gary was was sitting there his jaw hit the ground he said good lord he goes where did you get that we were actually out on patrol <laughs> i said well captain let me bring it out he said may i and i said well sure because i didn't know how to play it yet i was i brought it out to, to learn and, and so the very first song he played was got a never-ending love for you i don't know if you remember it, mm -hmm. it was, i've got a never-ending love for you yeah and he and he showed me how to play it's only three chords but I learned that very first song on the guitar from him. Fair dues to, to Gary. Why not? You know, he was a he was a larger than life character, and he was a brilliant missile technician. He was highly, uh, you know, he was the guy to go to. He actually helped me with my submarine qualifications. When you get, when you qualify submarines, you have to go division by division and learn all, all the safety gear and learn all mm -hmm. of the escape features and learn what you have to do in certain situations. And he was the training a petty officer for the entire missile compartment uh, for many years. And, uh, and he lived yeah. here. And, and I read Charlie's email uh, a couple of days back and I, I was so gobsmacked. It's like mm -hmm. almost like, you know, having a, a long lost twin yeah. you know, or something. I, and Gary actually lived here. And I, you know, we had, there's, you know, he was yeah. a shipmate. We were best of friends, but he was a shipmate, you know, so. I'll tell you, there's a, a sheet, uh, an, a, an A4 sheet. It's kind of a parody, uh, and it's how to simulate submarine life at home. <laughs> and what they do, they go through it and they say, well, you, you put uh, a newspaper over all the windows. Uh, you don't talk to anybody except through once a week through the telephone. You got 10 minutes. You, know, you, you eat canned food only, and after two weeks, you don't eat anything fresh. There's this list of things that you do. And basically, the way to, you know, you're a young man. I, I've gone through my life sacrificing. I told myself, well, I'm going to do six years in the Navy, and then I'm going to get out. And then I go, okay, I'm going to go into submarines. Submarines, oh, uh, okay, so you're going to go down under the water for all these months at a time. And a lot of that is just fooling yourself. You're basically in a building, in a room, 
that will tilt from time to time. But it's, it's quiet. You're, you're getting on with a job. When you're not working, you're eating. When you're not eating, you're studying. Uh, you're getting better at your job. Uh, and if you're not doing that, you're cleaning or you're training or you're running drills. So you're always busy, always busy on a submarine. There's, there's always something to do. And, of course, there's relaxation time. Of course, VHS was, was brand new and huge. So, you know, we had we had 200 videos from uh, Mad Max Road Warrior to, uh, you know, everything else. So and then, of course, we had uh, 24 hour poker games. Uh, you, you put your name on the list. Uh, and when somebody had to go to watch or leave, then they would get the next person on the list. And if you were sleeping, they would come and get you out of your rack and say, hey, you're up in the poker game because you could have a, a maximum of seven because there's only 52 cards in the deck. You know? So. We would play poker forever. So you, you, you keep your mind occupied, and, and you don't think about the world outside. I started Navy, and, and of course, you, everybody goes through boot camp. And then I, right out of boot camp, I went to submarine school in Groton, Connecticut. And then uh, because I um, signed up, I got an A school and a C school. And you take your test to find out how smart you are before going into the Navy. And depending on score on that test, uh, they allow you to do certain things or disallow you to do you fit in and, and play. So uh, I had a wide choice, and I selected submarines. And I said last week because I, as a kid, I used to watch a, a program on the telly called Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and it was a big submarine, nuclear submarine. That was always in the back of my head. But mm -hmm. I thought, you know, and it was adventurous. So I was a young man. I, I thought submarines sounded adventurous. So I wanted to get out of school and, and see the world. And but I was an electronics technician. I worked on the navigation gear. So it was paramount for the submarine to know exactly where it was on the face of the earth at all times, because uh, not only for the sailors and so Washington knew where we were, but because, you know, nuclear missiles have to know their exact starting point to get to their exact ending point. And I, I'm, a, I'm a bit ashamed to say, I'm a bit of ashamed to say so, because, you know, uh, 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 the difference of a couple of meters can mean miles. Uh, in Moscow or wherever these missiles are going. So navigation electronic technician was my job. And I, I worked on sonar sounding equipment for fixed taking, not for listening for other ships, but for mapping the ocean bottom because we actually matched topography uh, with topography areas that we had on file to tell us exactly where we were as well. Uh, ocean bottom topography. Uh, and we would, uh, we would drive up to 100 feet and put up a, a satellite antenna mast we would track antennas as well to, to reset our equipment because we had standalone ships inertial navigation systems and electrostatically supported gyro monitors to tell us exactly where we were at all times. And we had those two uh, pieces of equipment to reset each other. Like two people who are learning themselves, sometimes both of them are wrong. So you need even a third external source to reset your navigation uh, equipment. And of course, all that navigation equipment, we used it secondary for maneuvering and for our own positioning, but primarily it was for input uh, to uh, long-range ballistic missile. That's what I did. Just shows you the difference. In today's Navy, you wouldn't need all that. With, with mobile phones, you just call a taxi into noon, and he'd tell you exactly where you're at. I remember some of the sailors saying to me, when they, when they came up after their three months underwater, it took them mm -hmm. at least a full day for their eyesight to adjust to uh, infinity vision again because you were only looking at things up close all the time when you're underwater. That's right. Yeah, you're never looking more than six feet in any direction um, at any time. 
And so you were actually uh, asked not to drive your automobile for at least a mm -hmm. week uh, when you get back. First time you come up after 90 or 100 days and they open the hatch. And sometimes I was the initial enlisted man on watch. Of course, there was an officer that came up in the conning tower. But when we surfaced um, and they cracked that hatch uh, mm -hmm. for the first time, it, it stunk. Fresh air stunk like it, you were in a midden, like you were at the dump. Oh, away. It was terrible. And you're like, oh, the smell. And then, of course, as the fresh air inundates your lungs in the submarine, you realize that you're the one who stinks, my friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was amazing, too. And also, here's a, here's a little known fact a lot of people don't realize is uh, the carbon uh, monoxide levels uh, increase, of course, when you have so many sailors living together. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are in a confined system. And even though you do have oxygen scrubbers and CO2 scrubbers, uh, which is, yeah. of course, carbon dioxide, those rates go way up. And what happens is the higher they go, the more on edge people are. You argue and you're argumentative. Yeah. And so every couple of weeks, the captain will say, well, let's go up to periscope depth and ventilate. See, what you're doing mm -hmm. as a submarine, you have to stay quiet. Uh -huh. Nobody is supposed to know where you are. So a captain doesn't want to go up to periscope depth. You know, if you can stay away from there, you do. But he realizes, too, that, that there are fights breaking out and we need to cool everybody off. So what we'll do is we'll ventilate fresh air and oxygen into the submarine mm -hmm. and then everybody's best friends again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go back down to 500 feet or 1,000 feet and hang out for a while. That actually sounds like oxygen toxicity. The partial pressure of oxygen, it had that same effect on you. So. It, by using the carb, the oxygen up, you actually create more carbon dioxide, but it's also the amount of oxygen in that compartment is less mm -hmm. than actually normal on That's the surface. Yeah, yeah. It's like being in a very high mountain. It's the same with oxygen starvation at 20,000 feet on a mountain. It's very similar to, to that. You begin to hallucinate and do all sorts of daft things, yeah. Well, that's that's oxygen toxicity. It's where the the lack of oxygen or too much oxygen has that effect on you. You know, you go through uh, mental evaluations all through. Uh, they see the box that's ticked uh, that you're going to be a submariner uh, or submariner, uh, both of which are acceptable, by the way, in the English speaking world. They keep an eye on you, and they and you talk to psychologists at different points uh, about, you know, what you're what you're about and what you like. And basically, it, it's everybody's just normal folk. You you resign yourself to being where you are and to doing the job that you're doing. You learn, I think, how to grow up at a young age because you're run by the goats, the goat locker, and the officers. Now, a lot of officers are young themselves and they don't know what's going on, but the people who run that submarine are the captain and the XO a commander and a lieutenant commander, uh, respectively, and uh, and the goats, which are senior. Uh, I say goats, but we call it the goat locker. They're, they're chiefs, uh, enlisted, senior enlisted personnel who have been in the Navy for at least 10, 15 years that, that know what's going on. They know the drill, okay? And they keep their division in line. They keep their officer or the new officer in line above them, even though they're in charge of them, and they keep their... 10, 15 people in their division, 20 division in line. They know what's going on. And from them, you suck up uh, knowledge. Uh, you suck up how to do your job. You do what you're told. You, you never answer back. And in the Navy, if you have to understand, too, that you want to make rates. You want, to, you want more stripes. So you do your job. 
And if you fight with somebody, if you throw fisticuffs, you're going to lose a strike, which means you get demoted. And that demotion stays with you. So you learn how to resolve any differences by having a very smart mouth, using your vocabulary to belittle somebody if you feel it's, it's necessary. And if they want to take a punch, let them. But you better not. You know, and once in a great while, differences are, are settled that way and hopefully without prying eyes or anybody who tells it. You know, because a submarine, especially a, a ballistic submarine, is a, there are some spaces which is the only place that you can open your arms and turn around on a 619-class uh, Lafayette-class submarine was between the missile tubes or in the mess decks where you had your dinner. If you really felt that a duel I'll meet you in the missile compartment at three o'clock this morning. <laughs> young man. I'm going to kick your ass. You know? and so, oh my uh, if you had it came to that, hopefully it never did. It didn't, it never did for me, you know, fight or flight. I'm the guy who runs. I, I don't fight. You know? So uh, uh, even though I've got ginger, ginger hair, I'm, uh, I have a bit of a temper. And living with people is, is just a matter of learning how to do it and realizing that you're there for uh, as long as it takes. And, uh, and you you change your way of life. You don't realize it, but everything everything changes from taking a shower to going to the toilet uh, to you know when you eat, uh, interfacing with other people, uh, learning. You 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 have to be motivated. But you take you take in what's around you. You, you see the motivation from your officers and from the goats, the chiefs who are there uh, setting an example. And fantastic, we had fantastic, fantastic, uh, very knowledgeable and well-rounded calm like parents chiefs you know uh and they run the show and they run the show they really do and it's a sacrifice at first when you're young see i got burned out i did nine deterrent patrols you know so i'm, I'm a bit doolally you know and uh, uh but my first four or five were absolutely excruciatingly exciting you know, because i was learning all of these submarine systems i was learning how to escape how to how to fire torpedoes how to how to blow main ballast tanks, how to raise and lower a periscope, uh, electrostatic uh, surveillance measures and countermeasures, and you know when you're on the surface. And uh, there's so much to learn and to take in uh, that you're so busy. But then, after you are up for chief and you know your job better than you should know, and, and you become the person who people come to to get their qualifications signed, sign off. And, and of course, those first two or three patrols is you're trying to gain your fish, you want your dolphins. You want the submarines qualified. See, I'm a submariner. I'll always be a submariner. I only did six years in the military. I'm not retired military. I did my contract of years and I got out. I don't get a Navy pension or anything like that. There's something you should do, Phil. Take everybody in this group onto a submarine and show them how to flush the toilet. Oh. You need qualifications on that. It's not just a little handle. No, like no, no. Step one, step two. You have to be ambidextrous. <laughs> you have to be ambidextrous. You have to turn the water on, and as the water's flowing, you have to pull the crank so the ball valve opens. But you have to remember, never open the ball valve with the crank when the decks are pressurized. Because <laughs> <laughs> what's in the tanks will come the other way. You were talking about the goat locker. When I made chief, it's when office, anyone makes chief and the commanding officer pins on your collar devices, he'll, they, they'll say, ask the chief is a household phrase. You are now the chief. Be chief. And you didn't get any training like you had a 
he had to counsel one of your young sailors, you know, they brought him in the office. You didn't have any training on that. It's just years and years of dealing with those people. <laughs> you get used to it. I've always felt that being on submarines has made me a very, helped to make me a, a very strong individual. And, mm-hmm. and I thought at one point as I was sitting down and learning and, and, and doing that there was absolutely nothing on the planet that I couldn't do. If I wanted, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. I wanted to be, I could be it because I was doing this. My leading petty officer, uh, Pastor Utzler, he had four kids and a wife and he doted over them and missed them. And, and you know, you get to know, I was uh, talking earlier about, um, one of the things that, that helps get you through is you learn about everybody that's in your division and then you stand watch for eight hours. You learn everything there is to know about that person. Uh, there, there's nobody closer. It's like being in a foxhole, you know, in, in, in a war somewhere. You know, you're with this person, you're in the military together and you're standing watch with your equipment and uh, you have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. But, you know, I, I saw time and time again, uh, one patrol we came in uh, and Utsler was met at the airport by a lawyer. His wife had taken the kids and ran away and sent a lawyer. You know, here's a guy that had his heart broken and he folded and he didn't make any more patrols after that yeah. because, he, he, you know, he had to deal with this. And I said to myself, you know, and I saw that kind of thing time and time again, because going away for 100 days at a time is, is no way, I, I don't think, to, to lead a, a family life. Well, the rate of divorce in the FBM submarines is higher than it's really higher than anything else in the Navy, you know, okay. because of that so long away you know yeah yeah i see that but it's uh, because of that especially if you're single in my case i you know i can relate to that you know you're you're quite lonely because if you have a girlfriend back home she's got to wait for you and more often than not she wasn't there when you got back she, she teamed up again with somebody else well first of all the only thing i didn't like about hunt for the red october was I believe there's a point where Alec Baldwin, the helicopter takes him out uh, to, I think it's the Dallas, the USS Dallas, and the sea state is too high. So he says, we can't go any further. We have to head back. And he says, oh, yeah. And he pulls the, ho- the, the hook on his harness and he falls into the ocean. As a submariner, I knew at that point in time that Alec Baldwin would have died. Okay, so it, uh, It's Hollywood, but in a sea state of three or greater, there's no way a submarine is going to pick anybody out of the ocean. Because a submarine isn't made for the surface. It's, you know, when it's in a sea state of three or higher on the top, it's bobbing like a cork. And of course, the only open hatch that's above the water line will be out of the sail, which is the conning tower. And you're not going to get him from there. So, anyway, uh, it was a great movie. You have been listening to the American Years Revisited podcast. Huge thanks to Phil for taking the time to share his experiences with us. Thank you for listening. See you next time.